All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for taking us here as individuals so that we can gather together, fellowship, break bread, the very bread of life, Father. What an incredible privilege this is just to be here, just to be alive, just to be taking this in, to be edified by it, to be built up by it, to rejoice over it. Father, we're just so blessed. We thank you. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be here this evening, that would love to be here, but for reasons by your design are not. We pray that you return them to the fold in your good timing, of course, as soon as possible. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world without hope, Father, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a time to rejoice in and relax and be refueled and revitalized and re-energized. Father, what an incredible privilege this is. We just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Part 68, fantastic. And if all goes well, we might make it to verse 7 of Proverbs 17 tonight. But we'll see. Last week we were given the following true, and it was the whole week, if you remember, uh, up here on the board. It was a, a month in review, and the net-net, if you remember, was this is real. This is what he's been driving home in our souls Life has context. Life is real. Um, and here we are. And it's not enough just to, you know, be built up academically. God, the Holy Spirit, is really driving home the point that we have a life to live and we have glory to bring to God in time. And so this is real. Being a believer in Christ isn't supposed to be some ethereal hope, you know, something in the ether that we cling to while we melt away down here on earth. Being a believer in Christ gives us fortitude, strength, power. It makes us resolute, firm in our faith, able to stand up against whatever this world throws at us, which is a lot. And when I said that on Sunday, it was like, amen. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but this standing up is sort of a misnomer in the sense that we perceive it as something, you know, sometimes that we're solely responsible for. But if we're honest about what the Word of God has to say, we conclude that this life we are living is the Lord's. This life that you're living right now is the Lord's. It was ordained from eternity past as the Lord's. This is true given the simple fact that it was the Lord Jesus Christ that purchased us from the slave market of sin. This is why the Bible refers to our salvation as a redemptive or redemption. In plain English, representative of the Greek, of course. Um, redemption implies a transaction has taken place. Some payment was made. In the case of Jesus' work on the cross, it was to pay the penalty for our sins so that God was propitiated. Propitiated just means his judgment was satisfied. Big fancy theological word. His judgment was satisfied. He is now satisfied with the work of Christ on the cross on your behalf. You're a believer. And as a result of this propitiation, we have been reconciled. And that's another big, long word that just means restored to friendly relations with God. So we have been reconciled to God. Go to Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13, what a wonderful thing to know. So this evening's going to be more of on the topic of perspective, just driving that home for us. 
so very grateful for messages like this, especially on a Thursday evening. I know most of you have, you know, long weeks or, you know, you're just old. <laughs> John. I thought I had to, I, John was sleeping before class. He was, trying to, he was trying to make it off like he was reading his Bible. He had his Bible up. He was like this. I said, Pat, nudge him. And then he's like, I was reading. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Delivered us from the domain of darkness. There you go. That's the redemption. That's being purchased out of the slave market of sin. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That really captures what the Spirit just said. In other words, again, with reference to the standing up, we have to remember that this life we are standing up in belongs to the Lord who purchased it. It says it in Holy Scripture. It belongs to the Lord. This is His life. It's to His glory that He leaves us here after salvation. If someone pays for something, it's theirs, right? So let's read a little more from Paul. Go to Ephesians 1.1. Maybe one of the most edifying opening chapters in Holy Scripture. Ephesians in general. If you ever need a pick-me-up, read Ephesians. If you don't want to mind blow, read Ephesians. But especially if you need that pick-me-up, I suggest Ephesians. Ephesians 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I just alluded to that. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Remember that. According to the riches of His grace. We'll get to that a little bit later. According to, if you remember from Sunday. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Again, all of that up here on the board, this is real. A lot going on. Did an awful lot. Heavy lift for us as believers. Being a believer in Christ isn't supposed to be some ethereal hope that we cling to while we melt away down here on earth. Being a believer in Christ gives us fortitude, strength, power. It makes us resolute, firm in our faith, able to stand up, against whatever this world throws at us. Again, that's a lot. So, if we're to live for Christ, 
given we are his, we just noted that, we ought to learn what is pleasing to him. We can still get in the way. This is his life, but we still can make choices against that reality. And so we have to learn what is pleasing to him. Speaking of, here's the passage from our month in review last week up here on the board, Ephesians 5, 10 to 11. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And oh, by the way, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And what has the Spirit taught us over the years? Start right here. Not with me. You start with you. <laughs> right? You start with yourself. You start right here. Expose the darkness in yourself. What does that mean? It means your lifestyle, your routines, your practices, your habits, all that stuff. Expose it for your own good. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but even or instead expose them. Paul wrote in the book of Titus about several practical aspects of this concept of pleasing the Lord. Let's read that now. Go to Titus 2, verse 1. Titus 2, verse 1. So Paul wrote in the book of Titus several practical aspects of this concept of pleasing the Lord. That's what I love about Holy Scripture. It says in Ephesians, you know, learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And then in another book, it tells you, this is what's pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't just say, figure it out on your own. He says, I want you to figure it out, but I want you to read my word. I want you to take in my word so that you learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The Lord always gives us, by grace, the provision to be able to carry out his commands. Titus 2.1 But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, older men ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, I pick, a, I pick on John Gardner a lot, but I just thought of him. Honestly. Verse 2. Older men ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Right? Older women... Likewise, ought to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They ought to teach what is good. Pat, other women in here? I'm sure of it, right? We're blessed to have a congregation of older men and older women that bring glory to God. They ought to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. I mean, think about that. If Pat can love John... You can love your husband. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Poor John. John, the glory didn't last very long, did he? He's like, yeah, you know, verse 2, yeah. <laughs> He's going back to sleep. <laughs> oh, man. All right, verse 4. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Obviously, the context here is Paul is teaching a pastor how to be himself even, right? Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not may uh, be put to shame, excuse me, having nothing evil to say about us. You see, because we're on full display. It's not a religious statement. It's not a legal statement. It's just a fact. We're on full display. Whether you like it or not, people know who we are. They know I'm a pastor. There's a certain expectation that I'm given. They know that you're a so-called Christian. You represent Christ. You're an ambassador. You better believe people are watching you. Right? 
Again, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. That's a, a good course on authority orientation. right? Not many of those issues here left in this church. Anybody with authority orientations has either been thrown out or left. Bond servants ought to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They ought to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, even expose them, right? Didn't we just see that in Ephesians? Ephesians 5, 10 and 11, even expose that darkness. Right? Again, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. That's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 23. Upright in godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and gave himself for us, to redeem us, this, bring, this one verse brings it all together, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. I want to know what's pleasing to the Lord. I don't always know. You don't always know. But what we really want is to be zealous for good works. And that is tantamount to understanding what is pleasing to the Lord and having a desire to do it. Don't just be merely hearers, but doers. Don't delude yourself, in other words. These are very practical statements in Holy Scripture. So that just about covers the three highlights from the passages we read previously this evening already, that one verse. Again, though, the point from our month in review last week was up here on the board. This is real. This is real. He wants this to be driven home in you, not to be just sort of left at the, you know, the, the threshold there when you go back to your car. He wants you to take it with you. He wants you to be inseparable from these things. Being a believer in Christ isn't supposed to be some ethereal hope that we cling to while we melt away down here on earth. Being a believer in Christ gives us fortitude, strength, power, it makes us resolute, firm in our faith, able to stand up against whatever this world throws at us. As we also noted last week, pleasing the Lord, Allah Ephesians 5.10, implies deeds, not just words, deeds. And he's been hitting on this already in the first 20 minutes of this message a lot. Up here on the board, 1 John 3.18, little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, here's a summary from my personal perspective. The Spirit invited all of you to think along the same lines, but this was the summary from our labor last week over the past month. In other words, up here on the board, just food for thought from Sunday's message, right? Last month, actually it's been now a month and a week, what did he highlight? What did he try to impress upon us? Well, there was encouragement for what we just read, encouragement for good deeds, not just good words. A beckoning us to abide in the sphere of God experientially. A reminder that true peace can only be found in Him. Practically speaking, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a life filled with gratitude ah, is a blessed life. Just That's why I was so glad the way the Spirit opened up this evening. Just Weren't you grateful just to think about being here? At the end of a long day, at the end of a maybe a long week, you know, it's Friday tomorrow, and here you are being fed. How about that? How about the simple fact 
that this does not have to persist. Remember the other side of grace? That's how the whole mini-series, seven parts, started. It was, this doesn't have to exist forever. There's nothing in Holy Scripture that says this all, this lasts forever. Nothing. So be grateful for each day that you have it. You could say the same about any blessing in your life. Be grateful while that person's still with you. Be grateful while that animal is still with you. While that whatever that you feel is a blessing is still with you. Because there's no guarantee. And once you start looking like that, you say, wait a minute, I'm surrounded 360 by blessings. There's no shortage. And if you honestly think you have a shortage of blessings, come see me after the message, and I will help you. I will point out a hundred things that you're blessed for. That you should wake up every day and go, what am I thinking whenever I'm filled with ingratitude, when I'm being a brat? What am I thinking? I'm going to heaven. I get to go be with Jesus. God loves me. I have brothers and sisters in Christ that love me. You have a pastor that thinks you're okay. <laughs> you know I'm getting that, right? Like, he's just so blessed. I mean, come on. You know, there are people right now, every day, Monica will attest to this because it comes in on the mail alias at the church. I just got a letter today from India. Can you please come teach us? Right? Come teach us. We don't have anybody here. They're, they would love to be in your seat right now. They would love to be in the seat where the people here should be here, but they're not. Shame on them, right? They would love to be in those seats that are empty. I wonder what those people would say if they showed up on a Sunday and an Indian was sitting there. And I said, no, 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 no. they're not moving. Pick up your stuff and go, go sit in the back. Go, go find another seat. They obviously want it more than you. You get what I'm getting at? What's wrong with us? How do we ever get familiar with these blessings? And that's the point. It's not about condemnation. I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm not trying to belittle you. Or, I mean, we all do it. I'm saying it's, you're blessed when you live a life of gratitude. When you just look around and say, man, i got a thousand and one things just to be grateful for right now. I don't even have to think about it. You're blessed. That's the point. As the Spirit pointed out on Sunday, never think that even a brief sidebar, like this past week, won't be used to bolster our curriculum somehow moving forward. You could think of this past month as well. God never operates in a vacuum. Up here on the board, seeing it all as truth, with God there is always perfect synchronicity. All aspects of growing up in Christ work together for good for those who love him. That is literally scripture. With God, there is always perfect synchronicity. All aspects of growing up in Christ work together for good for those who love him. So he's never going to give you a curriculum. He's never going to lay out a curriculum that's going to derail you. It's going to build. It's all important. So let's capture this reference verse in full context. Go to Romans 8.24, though. We'll start a little earlier in the passage, but we'll build up to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.24. Romans 8.24. For, Romans 8.24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called 
according to his purpose. Again, the point on the board, seeing it all as truth, with God there is always perfect synchronicity. All aspects of growing up in Christ work together for good for those who love him. And that's what we just saw in Romans 8.28. So let's continue to complete Paul's thoughts here. It's magnificent, really. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think of the recurring. This is real, right? We're able to stand up and everybody, the world is against you. The God of this world has done everything he can to try to seize the moment from you, to rob you of the blessings of, say, I don't know, gratitude. Go do, do, you, do a little experiment. So I don't even have to tell you, most of you guys, because you're going to do it anyways. Go home and open, turn the TV on, duh, right? First commercial comes on. What do you think it's going to do? Man, I need whiter teeth. How did my teeth get so brown? Right? I could be so much better looking if I just had white teeth like that person, that model, on the television. Right? What just happened? A little bit of your gratitude just got chipped away at. You're not grateful because you've got teeth and you can still chew. You're ungrateful because you don't have white teeth like the model, the fake person on the television who's been, you know, primped up for the, for the screen. And who cares if you don't? Who cares? Honestly, who cares? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do you stand up? Perspective. Perspective. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, give grace, give, uh, him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Think about Resurrection Sunday special. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo, boom, right? Amen. What's the Spirit conveying to us here tonight? Well, so much of our deliverance experientially begins with just having the right mindset. You know, beginning each morning with, Hello, Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, God. For another day to bring glory to you. How about that? How about you woke up? How about that's a blessing? How about it's a blessing to know that he's giving you another day to bring glory to him? What a privilege. It's not a chore. It's a privilege to be alive. Have you forgotten? I know some people are like, I can't wait to die. Really? You mean with, with all the good work that could be done to bring glory to God, your attitude is, I can't wait to die? I think your gratitude might be slipping a little bit, honestly. I think you might be a little remiss in the area of gratitude, which is why you're miserable. Anybody who gets up in the morning and says, I can't wait till I die, is going to have a miserable day. Amen? Who says that? An ungrateful person. A brat. And they suffer. It's not about me condemning them or it's that they suffer. 
that person who holds on to that ingratitude suffers. They are not blessed. They're cursed by their own attitude. That's the whole point. And so he's trying to push this into us, get us in the right mindset, give us the right perspective. Life is short, but life is good. Perspective is everything. Therefore, on the flip side, up here on the board, poor perspective guarantees poor living. Guaranteed. You have poor perspective, perspective that's outside of God's will for you. You don't know what's pleasing to the Lord. You don't even care. You just, you know, groan and murmur and play the violin all day and call up your friends and say, oh, you know, whatever. I'm so miserable. Well, your perspective sucks. No offense. And that's why you're miserable. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. We took pause here on Sunday morning, if you remember. Here was the instigating point from this weekend up here on the board. You are rich. You're not poor. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. You're not poor at all. You're rich. You should have rich perspective. According to the Bible, you are infinitely wealthy as a believer in Christ. Therefore, poor living seems like an absurd thing to accept as a status quo in your life. It's absurd. With the right perspective, you are able to transcend any and all circumstances. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Go there. Go to Philippians 4, 11. With the right perspective, you are able to transcend any and all circumstances. Philippians 4, 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Ah, right? Whatever, whatever, Lord. Remember Job? Lord give, Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. There's a big word for you, right? Content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, you are rich. According to the Bible, you are infinitely wealthy as a believer in Christ. Therefore, poor living seems like an absurd thing to accept as a status quo in your life. With the right perspective, you're able to transcend any and all circumstances. And that's how we're able to stand up in the face of, you know, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? Who's going to stand up? If I can do all things in, through Christ who strengthens me, who can stand against me? I don't know. He's the omnipotent God. I'm going to go with no one. To help us with this perspective, the Spirit brought some amazing color on just how rich you are in Christ. Go to Philippians 4.19, just a little bit forward. Philippians 4.19. We saw this on Sunday, but it's worth reviewing. And my God will supply every need of yours, how? According to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that really useful analogy that I used on Sunday was this. If a person has $10 million and they give $10 to a need in the church, we say that they have given from their riches. I mean, what's 10 bucks when you've got $10 million? However, if they were to give $1 million, we might say that they give according to their riches. They give according to their riches. The idea, again, is just parity, right? So let's read this passage again. Philippians 4.19, 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Up here on the board, according to his riches, God is infinitely rich. When he gives, he gives according to his ability to give. A good example of this is a miracle. A miracle. Salvation, how about that? Healing. Uh, you, you name it. Any kind of miracle. That's a supernatural feat. That's beyond our own grasp. And even an infinite way. And so, it's a good example of how God gives according to His ability to give. So hopefully that, that helps your perspective a little. Um, we also read some scripture to help with any Attitude adjustments that might be necessary. Go to Matthew 6.30. Attitude adjustments, right? Because that's certainly something that's going to take you away from what is pleasing to the Lord. Take you away from this, uh, from the attitude of gratitude if you want to be kind of, you know, wordsmithing. So we read some scripture to talk about attitude adjustment. Matthew 6.30 But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God gives according to his riches, remember. And as I mentioned on Sunday, he never undergives. Verse 33, but seek. In other words, you focus on this instead. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, you focus on that and let God worry about the rest. That's your attitude of gratitude. And whatever he decides to give you, you be grateful for it. You can say, I want more. I want whiter teeth. I want this. I want that. I want a new this. I want a blah, 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 blah. Right? You focus on what he wants you to focus on. Let him focus on you. Does that kind of make sense? I know it's, it sounds funny, right? Because the world says you focus on you and be an island and let everybody else focus on themselves. It's the exact opposite of, from God. God says, you focus on others, I'll focus on you. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, keep your eyes on the now. You know, you're alive right now. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. And you cannot change yesterday. So the only thing you can truly live in is the now. The only time when you can truly be Grateful is in the now. The only time you can bring glory to God is in the now. So focus on the now. So coming full circle on what the Spirit's developing here this evening, here are the three pre, uh, previous principles back to back. First was this one. Poor perspective guarantees poor living. Here is our righteous perspective to guard against this up here on the board. You are rich. According to the Bible, you are infinitely wealthy as a believer in Christ. Therefore, poor living seems like an absurd thing to accept as a status quo in your life. With the right perspective, you are able to transcend any and all circumstances. We are rich because God gives according to his ability to give. Up here on the board, according to his riches. God is infinitely rich. When he gives, he gives according to his ability to give. A good example of this is a miracle. So this adjusted perspective, if you want to put it that way, ought to keep you from falling into the trap, let's say, in a practical sense. Because this is real. Life has context, right? There are all kinds of traps, 
all kinds of things to be grateful for, all kinds of pitfalls to fall into. But with this right perspective, this adjusted perspective, it'll keep you from falling into the trap of looking, say, to your left and to your right, which arguably is one of the most common traps of all, especially in America. Turn on the TV. Remember, uh, what was that guy, that English guy? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Remember that guy? What was he? He had that funny girl name, didn't he? Nobody remembers him? Nobody wants to admit it. You're sick. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Right, Brandon? Robin Leach. See? I knew he had a a woman's name. Jim, you should have known that. Yeah. It's a good thing you're not arrogant, (laughs) Anyways, one of the most common traps of all in America, looking to your left and to your right, you know, at your neighbors, the Joneses. Oh, 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 isn't that lovely? Oh, I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Right? You know it is, right? You say, oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, it's so awesome. She's a wench. Did you know that? Right? What's wrong with us? You, you'd actually be a better person if you just told them the truth. You know what? I'm really jealous. At least you're telling the truth. Just saying coveting their, you know, so-called wealth from the world. David helps us with that. Go to Psalm 37, 1. Psalm 37, 1. <clears throat> David helps us with this. It's so simple. Just take your, take your eyes off of yourself. How can you help somebody else out today? Right? That's what it comes down to. God will take care of you. You take care of others. You might be shocked at how freeing that is. Psalm 37.1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I love this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still. Be still. Here's another way to think about this up here on the board. Focus on loving others while God loves you. How about that? You focus on loving others while God loves you. How's that for perspective? Next thing you know, you're grateful to have the opportunity. The, the faculties even. The, the, the divine providence, the provisions, if you would, of being able to help another human being. How about that? Nope, I'd rather help myself. Got to have more stuff. Got to have more this. Got to have more time for me. Got to have more blah, blah. It's all about me, 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 me. Focus on loving others. While God loves you. And as we've been learning for months and months now, love, after all, is the great litmus test. This is where we ended on Sunday. Yep, we've got time. So let's press on a little bit further. We have several ways to test that which we suppose is true about ourselves, according to Holy Scripture. So we have a litmus test. Love, we have a commandment, it's the great law in the church, it's to love. So we have love set before us, 
That's the great litmus test. And the Bible says, this is what it looks like. Matter of fact, Jesus taught us, taught his disciples and teaches us now about this very thing. Go to Luke 6.31. Luke 6.31. You want to know what it looks like? You want to know what that principle on the board looks like? Love, focus on loving others while God loves you? Jesus had a lot to say about this, about love, where it's directed, how it's directed, how it's manifest truly, how it affects others. Luke 6.31, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Who doesn't want to be loved? Seriously, maybe the, I mean, I would argue it's the greatest desire of all to be loved, to know that you're loved. And anybody in here, you, you already, if you're a believer, you know that you're loved. God will put that in you. Go home and read uh, 1 John. You know that you're loved if you're saved. Because God, the Holy Spirit, will reveal it to you. And aren't you grateful that you're loved? Well, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Well, you know what? Other people want to be loved too. So love them. Focus on loving others while God loves you. How's that for a strategy? How's that for perspective? How about, how's that for getting out of your own way? How's that for not focusing on your, yourself day in and day out, every moment of every day? How's that for breaking the back of ingratitude? As you, these are Jesus' words. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And then he just blows the top off this whole thing. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I mean, that's you. You're ungrateful. You can be evil. And He's kind to you. And do you like it? Yeah. Well, so does everyone else. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. If you're stingy, then guess what? Do I need to answer that? If you're fruitful, if you're loving, what do you think? You shall reap what you sow. Again, the great litmus test is always love. In the context of life, does your love transcend earthly circumstances, pressures, trials, tribulations, tests. Does your love transcend that stuff? That's what Jesus was getting at. He's like, big deal. You love, you love your spouse. Big deal. So does an unbeliever. How about you love your enemies? Ah, now we're talking. Huh? Now we're talking. And that was... Well, this was the final thought from the other side of grace even up here on the board. Being in love 
not that romantic garbage stuff. In love, in the sphere of love, there's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love, John 15, 11 to 14. And again, what's he developing in us? Perspective. Why? Perspective is everything. What do you think about the Joneses? What do you think about your life? Do you think it should be better? Do you think God mm, was a little shy on the blessings when it came to you? What do you think? Or do you have an awful lot to be grateful for? Remember the parable, a man finds the pearl and he sells everything to buy the field? I love what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 2.19. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Oof. Enslaved. That was what Peter was getting at in Psalm what, 37, right? Don't, wor don't focus on the evildoers. You'll be enslaved to that endeavor. You don't want to be enslaved to jealousy, covetousness, any of that. You don't want to be enslaved to that stuff. You want to be a slave, if we were to use Romans 6, a slave to righteousness. How about that? Because you're a slave to one or the other. You want to be a slave to righteousness, doing the right thing. Being a slave to the right thing makes you righteous. And we have the peaceful fruit of righteousness guaranteed. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In the closing moments, just stepping back now. Yeah, actually, that's, I'm gonna, I was going to read some scripture. But we're out of time. I couldn't read it. It's a whole chapter. So I think I'll stop there. Um, just take the perspective. Um, a lot was covered this evening. Um, and so, yeah, we'll end there. Amen? All right, sorry to cut it off like that. But, yeah, we don't have the time. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together. Thank you for the perspective that you give us. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for never giving us any outs or legalistic ways of wiggling out or lawyering our way out of the reality that blesses us in the end. Thank you for commanding us to stay in that saddle, for commanding us to love, Father. We're so blessed by it, so grateful to you for it. We're grateful to be alive another day to bring glory to you because that is such a privilege, and we know that that is pleasing to you, Lord. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned here this evening back to the privacy of our own souls, our homes, and then your will be done, of course, out to a world that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.